Coming up on this episode, author Noah Steele joins us to talk about his second chance romance, Catch Me If I Fall. Welcome to episode 362 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will. Hello, Rainbow Romance readers. We are so glad that you could join us for a Valentine's Day edition of the show. And happy Valentine's Day to you, my Valentine husband. Right back at you. I have to share this Valentine that Will got me because it was so sweet and yet a little ridiculous at the same time. So he brought me this very cute Valentine box of Mother's cookies. They're usually frosted animal crackers, but for Valentine's Day, they've done pink and white X's and O's. The box was so adorable. And the reason why I bring this up is kind of a funny thing. Inside of it, instead of cookies that were nestled into little compartments like you would find in a box of chocolates, they had put just a little bag of cookies in this really cute box. It was such a missed opportunity to have a very cute arrangement of cookies, but he got me a cute box of cookies and I very much appreciated it. Well, I'm glad you did because I certainly didn't. It was spectacularly (laughs) underwhelming because you have to picture the heart-shaped box is the standard size of a box of valentine's candy so when you open it and you find like a two ounce single serving baggie of cookies not even having the product listed on the bag it is a completely generic not for resale white bag full of a handful of cookies it's was not happy Well, it was ridiculous. I appreciated the gesture, though, and I still have the box actually in my office for some Valentine's decorations. So it was a win and an oddity, but the cookies were good. And, you know, that's kind of all that mattered in the long run. Plus, you got me a a cute Valentine. Anyway, just thought I'd share that as a part of our Valentine's episode. You know, a few weeks back, we talked about watching a whole bunch of boat movies. And since the boat movies, we have completely gone back into full-out comfort TV mode and been re-watching British television. I think we have found that British television might be the most comforting thing ever. We've been back watching Bake Off. We've been re-watching Great Pottery Throwdown. We've been watching Mary Berry tour castles in England, which if you've not seen that show on PBS, that's a magical thing all on its own. Why do you think we've gone back to British television? What is it that just makes these so, so wonderful to Just chill out and watch. Well, it's actually a couple of different things, partially because January was such trash. (laughs) True. I wanted something that I knew would be comforting. Amongst all those boat movies, we also attempted to watch other things that in our experience were pretty damn disappointing. So combined with the real world and being let down by media, we just needed to return to something that we knew was a known commodity. And it's just so pleasant to watch. I swear I could watch those all the time. My memory is such that there's still a surprise. I can remember certain bakes or certain pottery moments. I often don't remember who won episodes and won entire series and things that happened. So it's almost like watching it for the first time in some ways, which is kind of ridiculous, but pleasant. Yeah, you're right. I'm kind of almost like watching some of these for the first time again. For the second time, it doesn't make any sense at all. And like you, I could never remember who wins, which is precisely why it's so wonderful. Who wins is completely besides the point. It really is. I hope Netflix actually corrects something that happened at the beginning of the year. Something went down with the licensing for the Bake Off. And they've lost the early episodes when Mel and Sue were hosting and when Mary Berry was a judge. Those disappeared on January 1st, and they desperately need to get those back. I can't even tell you I miss those so, so much. I love the new hosts. I love the new episodes, but I want those classic episodes back as well. Now, we have had one bright spot of brand new programming that is also ridiculously comforting at the same time, and that is the return of new episodes of Fraggle Rock, which are airing on Apple Plus right now. It's called Fraggle Rock Return to the Rock. I have to say, I was not a Fraggle Rock watcher back in the day when they were running on HBO. I don't know why. I don't know if I didn't have maybe HBO at the time or just what was going on. You've shown me a few Fraggle Rocks since they showed up on one of the streaming services back a couple years ago. But these new episodes are just amazing. The music, the color, the Muppets, 
Oh my goodness, I've enjoyed these so, so much. I think whenever Hollywood announces that they're revisiting a known property, a beloved one from all of our childhoods, generally I think that is an occasion for celebration and hesitation. Because there's the possibility of it being completely amazing, but more often than not you get let down because it's total garbage. (laughs) True. But in my opinion, the only trash in this series is Marjorie the Trash Heap. This Fraggle series isn't necessarily a remake. Really, I think it's more just a continuation of what came before. There are just a few updated tweaks, but really it's all the same characters that we loved before in Brand New Adventures. Yeah, I really love it. I'm going to have to get you to show me the original Fraggles at some point. That could just be more comfort TV continuation there because these episodes are cute and charming, full of good songs. I could just kind of sit and, you know, bounce along on the couch while we're watching them because they're just wonderful. You could find the new Fraggle Rock and, for that matter, the old Fraggle Rock episodes on Apple Plus TV. Now, if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that I absolutely love second chance romances. And Noah Steele really knocked that trope out of the park with his recent book, Catch Me If I Fall. I adored Jasper and Cole's story so much. And I had a fun time talking to Noah about the book. We get into all kinds of conversations, including how he envisions the town of Sugar Hills, how he came up with the amazing nostalgia tour that the guys embark on. It's so great. And because it's Valentine's Day, Noah's got a special little Valentine's treat for us as well. And he shares what he's working on now. And we even get some book recommendations too. Now, a little behind the scenes thing on the podcast here. You know, we've done this show now for over six years. That doesn't mean I don't mess up sometimes when I'm recording things. To be quite frank, I sound horrible in this episode because somehow I was on the wrong microphone when Noah and I were talking. So I apologize for how I sound, but it doesn't take away from some of the great stories that Noah tells to us right here. Noah, welcome to the podcast. It is incredible to have you here. I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) I knew from the moment that I finished Catch Me If I Fall, it's time to have you here because that book, you know, I said it in the review that it was like one of the most perfect second chance stories that I'd ever read. And I still can't believe. Just the way that you brought Jasper and Cole together was just like, oh, this book, it's everything. Tell us about, for those who haven't heard my review or maybe haven't picked it up yet, in your words, tell us about the story and what goes on in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I like to think that I'm really good at feelings. <laughs> I think at its heart, Catch Me If I Fall, honestly, like it's it's just a book about making sense of a very nostalgic started emotional past to build an exciting future with someone you're comfortable with, but don't necessarily know the way that you did before. Right. Like, so it's, it's the story of Cole Bixby and Jasper Fox, their ex childhood best friends. They had like a big drift because of a hasty confession of feelings that led to a very hasty teenage decision on Cole's part. 15 years later, they find themselves back in their hometown, different people, and yet familiar enough to still feel kind of the same. We follow their story through a sort of a similarly nostalgic studded trip through the, the highlights of their friendship. And it's the, the send off they never got to give each other in their senior year of high school. And, you know, because it's me, big emotions and lots of romance happens along the way. (laughs) I hadn't really thought of it the way that you just described it, that it was the send-off they didn't get when they exited high school because Mm -hmm. of the fact that they didn't even attend graduation together because of what happened. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. Now, see, I have a a whole book through a whole different (laughs) lens all of a sudden. I honestly can't even remember if I have Jasper say that like exact thing and in one of those early chapters that he wants to like do this whole nostalgia tour, like because it's something they never got to do together and it's a chance to reconnect. What was the inspiration for you to come up with Jasper and Cole? I'm super character driven. I, I don't think I've ever written a book that didn't start with the characters before absolutely anything else. And that's, that goes the same for my earlier, like, Cut to the Feeling series books. Even though I knew where things were going, it was the characters that had to solidify themselves for me first. So Cole, Cole is really just like a, a what-if alternate version of me, honestly. He's like, he's my impulsiveness. He's my quick temper. I, th- I, I like to call him the bruised parts of me that I wished could let things go a little more readily. And I think that comes across like pretty clearly in the way that I have him react to a lot of what goes on with Jasper kind of suddenly reappearing in his life in a way that he didn't think was ever going to happen. Once I had a clearer idea of the town in my head, I knew Cole had to be a librarian. I love hot librarians. It's really that simple, I think. 
librarians booksellers it's a thing yeah well i mean i had like i had a bookseller in way back in racing into love and i just it was a natural evolution like i'm starting something new it was my first book not set in my cut to the feeling series so why not sort of like touch on a little bit of that nostalgia for me too but also it's like final fantasy nine thing that comes up in, in catch me if i fall quite a bit one of the most memorable places for me in in that game was alexandria castle's library so i like it's been something close to my heart to want to be able to do something with a library and a librarian and just have them be bigger than what they think they are for a long time. And Cole got to let me live that little fantasy. Jasper was a lot more elusive though. In his original incarnation, Jasper was supposed to be this absolutely smarmy, like too big for a small town success story, rich guy who like comes back and sort of rediscovers the magic that he lost when he moved away for the first time. And then none of that ended up working out and I hated it. <laughs> So I'm glad um, you hated I, it. That's a whole different story. It is. It was a completely different book and it just, it wasn't feeling right. And I, I've now learned to trust that instinct that when it's not feeling right, it's because you're pushing the characters to do something that they're not interested in doing. And for as much as they come from me, they're their own people too on that page. So Jasper kind of became this, this idealized, like dreamy figure of like exactly the kind of guy that would have made like closeted high school me absolutely melt. And I, I built that around the parts of me that were really apparent in Cole. And I think that it it worked out for them to be such intense opposites while still having that like thread of of really common interests and, and memories that they shared together. I, I got to talk about the library a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Just because the idea of the library and the living space above the library, this place is amazing. Yeah. I'm really obsessed with places that exist on top of other places. <laughs> It's a theme through a lot of my books. <laughs> is this a real place or did you create this library? No, the whole thing is fictional. Um, Sugar Hills, Ontario does not exist. And it makes me sad all the time because I think that a super queer friendly Canadian small town would be a stunning little place to spend a lot of time. So I invented one because that's what I wanted. <laughs> I would totally go to this library. <laughs> we need to like create this library somewhere. Yeah. The library itself, it's the, one of the first places in the town that I really knew had to exist because it was just stuck in my head that I needed to have something happen in a building that that at one point used to be a church because that feels very dramatic in a lapsed Catholic kind of way. <laughs> Why not have someone translate like so much of what they love about video games and like other pop culture and media and like all just all of the references that I was so happy to just throw into the writing process for this book. Why not have someone interpret that into a career sort of centered around stories and being able to recommend books and share all of that with someone else? The glimpses that we get of the library because we see Cole at work and seeing what he does. And it's just like, oh, this place. But if you write down to the cat. That little cat was based on my cat, who I very unfortunately lost about a year ago now. So like, I did, Cole is very me. <laughs> well, it's good that you got to immortalize your cat in the book. And then the, kind of the other thing too, that you touched on, you didn't put this book in the Cut to the Feeling series. And certainly we see these days, so many authors, even as they create new series, they all you know have that tie back to one universe. How did you decide to leave it outside the universe as opposed to just like putting it in there for future crossover material? So there was a point where after finishing Visions of Love, Mark's book, I was pretty set on having Theo, who everyone meets in the very first book, have his own story to sort of capstone the series. Ended on like a, a big group high note kind of thing. And the, the harder I thought about that, the worse it was trying to make it a reality. And so at that point, I knew that it was something that I had to put on the back burner and let Cut to the Feeling be what it was. It just didn't feel like I had anything more to give in in that fictional city that I don't even think I ever really gave a name. Like, that's how nebulous it was in my mind. And like, sure, it's it's absolutely one of those lessons that you learn in like indie authorship. Cut to the Feeling was my first series over four books. I learned a lot of lessons on what to do and what not to do. And I think it just makes sense to have that be a very contained universe that is, you know, chapter one in Noah Steele's authorship journey, where Catch Me If I Fall, it's it's a departure. It's really, like at its core, it's the same stuff that you'll get out of every Noah Steele book, but to a much higher level, I think. It's exactly where I'm taking things moving forward. So Cut to the Feeling is, is very deliberately like not connected to Catch Me If I Fall. 
And I think that I'm okay with that. <laughs> You've got plenty of time to build the Noah Steel multiverse. So yeah, I have been very lovingly referring to it as the Noah Steel Gay Romance Cinematic Universe. <laughs> there you go. We'll call it that from now on. Because the cinematic part's important for when you get the Netflix deal. Let's talk about the reminiscing tour a little bit. Because oh, uh, sure. it was so fantastic how you just kept sending them to these various places. How did you piece that together to know, I want to go to this kind of place and this kind of place and this kind of place? I had maybe the most fun of my career trying to figure out where they were going to go in this small town. Because I like in my mind, like my small town experience, having moved out of the city into a small town for a tiny, tiny fraction of high school was nothing like the experience of living in Sugar Hills for Jasper and Cole. But everything in Sugar Hills is exactly what I wished that brief high school period of my life would have been. So a lot of it came out of earlier parts of my life when I was still living in the city and it was just a lot more fun for me. Like all the time that I spent in local parks with friends became a secret forest hangout. I was not an adventurous kid, so knowing that they were going to do that very first excursion where they're going out to like the the rotted decrepit remains of their old childhood clubhouse in the forest to like rebuild something around it and like make something new out of it was like my chance to sort of dig into a part of a childhood that I was never going to have. <laughs> right. Like I'm not the kid who's like trying to record werewolf sounds in the forest, chasing down urban legends. I'm the kid who was like helicopter parented into like, if I hear someone whistle from a block away, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew that like, I wanted this town to have staples because every good small town has staples. I think every good small town and a small town romance is its own character. And for me, that was it right down to like the colorful businesses and their very colorful punny names and just having like memorable people be centered like around Jasper and Cole to sort of guide them through this. So like a lot of it, like I'm not going to sit here and say that the whole thing was like super meticulously planned out. A lot of it was absolutely made up on the spot and I just kind of liked it. So I kept it. <laughs> but the pizza place, what did I call it? Cheese the day. That was a callback to basically every diner scene I had ever seen watching Saved by the Bell or Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in the 90s. Right. Like it's that, that one staple place where everyone in town goes to eat and just like kill an afternoon after school or something. The, the bar arcade hybrid was just plucked right out of those summers where I spent unfortunately not unlimited quarters on Marvel versus Capcom two, three blocks from home, like every day after school, but elevated to like a version that would make sense for like two adult men who, you know, have a very nostalgic attachment to playing a lot of video games. I guess that's all it really was, I guess, is, is wanting to take a bunch of stuff that I really loved when I was a kid and a teen and reinterpret it for two guys who are, like, I think I wrote them to be my age now. So I kind of just wrote it as if I was writing friends that I would love to have. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do it in a way that made sure that this town came alive around these two guys so that it, it didn't feel like it was just sort of them in this vacuum all the time. Was there a, a trip you wanted to send them on that got cut? or that you just could not make it work? So much of it sort of, it came out of the moment and like where I wanted them to be. I didn't have to cut anything, but I, I was kind of bummed that some things didn't feel as major as I hoped they would be by the end. Like the gazebo, the town, like the gazebo in the town square, I think where they had that first conversation after Cole literally crashes his bike into Jasper moving boxes into Evan's bakery. I thought that gazebo was going to be a major player. I really did. That gazebo for me is like, my call back to just really loving Stars Hollow and Gilmore Girls because that gazebo was in every background shot. That gazebo was the town. <laughs> yep. So I wanted something kind of similar and then just very quickly realized that because so much other stuff was happening in places that just mattered so much more to them, that it was enough that the gazebo had its moment in the prologue. To me, the gazebo, because it was kind of where they had that conversation after the bike crash, which was in its own way quite humorous, uh, <laughs> was almost like their re-meet cute. And then everything kind of happened from there. I will take it. <laughs> All yours. Because <laughs> it's where they're forced to have the conversation again, as opposed to, ooh, he's back. He's back. I haven't seen him yet. I haven't seen him yet. And then they crash into each other yeah. and have to go have a conversation about it. I think that the only way in my mind that those two were going to get over the last 15 years to actually start a conversation rather than skirt around and still not really feel comfortable checking in on each other was to make it a thing they couldn't avoid. Like it had to be a literal crash. Yeah. And it, it, it totally like worked to smash them back together <laughs> again, or at least start the journey. In terms of a favorite scene, and that you could almost take this in two ways. Like what's your favorite scene in the book 
Mm-hmm. And then if it's not the same, do you have a favorite of the nostalgia tour that might be separate from an overall scene? So I think my favorite scene to read was not my favorite scene to write. They're different. And I think I have like some some really close ties. My favorite scene to write was the barcade night where Cole reveals that he has been keeping up as a regular at this place since it was taken over by new owners in the town and just absolutely destroys Jasper in a drunken video game fit. It was so much fun for me to be able to do that with Cole's personality, with Jasper having an opportunity to be the one who was taken aback for once. I, I had so much fun integrating Evan and Sabina as really close friends that just sort of solidified that little group unit and just letting them sort of have the night devolve into some like drunken teenage fit in their early 30s felt right. It felt like it was something that they needed to just really learn what it means to actually let go of the more painful parts that they don't need to be holding on to from their friendship anymore. But my favorite scene to read is always, always going to be a tie between Jasper's shower scene and uh, Jasper quoting a Midsummer Night's Dream to Cole at the pizza place. Midsummer Night's Dream is by and far my favorite experience when it comes to anything Shakespeare related. I, I had the opportunity to see it live at Shakespeare in Hyde Park, I think a, a few years back now. And I knew that I was going to find the right place to throw it into something that I love equally as much. And I'm so, so happy that Jasper gave me that opportunity and the chance to make a bottoming joke. Because <laughs> how can you not with Midsummer? How can you not? <laughs> Currently, this is a standalone. Is the intention to leave it that way, or do we get to come back to this fabulous town? That's a hard question. I think in some ways we'll come back, and in some ways we won't. I think that Cole and Jasper's story is is done, for sure. I think if I ever revisit them, it'll probably just be in a bonus scene, maybe having them trying to rein in a very unruly adopted five-year-old child or something. Um, but nobody hold me to that. <laughs> it'll happen if it but happens. But they would make such amazing dads. They absolutely would. But I don't think I'm done in that town. I, I don't I don't know that that specific town will make super prominent appearances, but I am having a lot of fun in this little small town, like the beginnings of this little small town world that I've built for myself. And Sugar Hills, Ontario feels like it was an excellent sandbox to sort of really nail down how I want to do small town romances my way. So, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's, it's not going to be hard for you to guess that there's a character who's like, sort of in there chittering for his own happily ever after to finally like hit the page. <laughs> I can imagine I'm singing a certain person who gave up a bakery. Maybe, maybe, maybe. So I, I, I know that Evan's not speaking right now, but I know that he deserves the happy ending that I really want to give him. He was maybe my favorite side character I've ever written. What yeah. made Evan stand out so much for you? Evan is in my mind, like, quintessential capital S capital B sad boy like he is like all kinds of emotions and wears his heart on his sleeve but will never cop to it and that's just a lot of fun for me to dive into because everyone else can see exactly what emotions he's feeling because he thinks that he's hiding them and he's not (laughs) so Evan was a lot of fun for me to dive into as a side character because he was so wrapped up in Cole and Jasper's friendship, relationship, whatever it is, right from the start, like he's got the opening line of the book. And there's just, there's something about him that makes me feel like he, like I'm going to put him in a little blanket and give him a little mug of tea and say, like, you're going to be fine because I'm not going to let someone hurt you. Evan to me feels like a natural extension of, of Mark, my leading guy from Visions of Love, who I think was like my sad boy template. Well, hopefully Evan speaks up to you at some point, whenever that is. Yeah, I've I've got some ideas that may or may not involve some things happening on a road trip with a certain person that he might end up running into unexpectedly when he returns to his own hometown, where I think lots of stories are going to be set. Ooh. And so Sugar Hills is, I don't want to say it's like a closed for the season kind of thing, but it's more likely to make appearances as cameos and, and references with like the place and the characters in my like broader expanding world of small town romances. So let's dive back into the past a little bit. Okay. It's been about three years. Let's go on a nostalgia tour together. (laughs) (laughs) A little nostalgia tour, yes, right now. It's been about three years since you did Cut to the Feeling and started that series. Um, (laughs) For those who have not picked up that part of your catalog, what's the rundown on that series? 
Oh my gosh. Cut to the feeling is so near and dear to my heart for so many reasons. My absolutely first ever foray into indie authorship. Racing into Love came to me as an idea pretty quickly. And I think in some ways that shows in the way that I wrote it, but I'm over the moon with Cut to the Feeling. It's it's a series that feels really different from where I am now post Catch Me If I Fall, but it's a series of single point of view insta-love romances. Like every single book in that series is an insta-love romance um, because that's a trope that I feel people love to hate. And I don't love that. Yeah. I think that it's an adorable trope and there's so much that you can do with it. And I I wanted to do something with it. Centered around a group of friends and each book is one different guy in that core friend group paired with who I like to call the outsiders who sort of make their way in and like ignite those instant sparks for that friend group. And it's got a hefty amount of opposites attract. It's got some nerd jock. Oh my God. It's, it's honestly like long enough ago now that I don't totally remember what I did with all of those books. <laughs> I'm not somebody who likes to reread my own work. It's exactly the kind of thing that I wanted to do that I can now say that I very happily refined. Like it's very slice of life low angst. In lots of ways, it's very soap opera. And I, I honestly kind of didn't realize that until recently, but I love that revelation. It's my little collection of crazy soap opera insta-love romances that you should absolutely read if you think that you will love that. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you that I think insta-love gets kind of cast off to the side a lot. It's like, eh, they got yes. together too quick. But I think even if they get together and know they're in love so quickly, there's still a lot to do with them. There's 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 so much stuff that that people are beyond the like immediate apparent emotions in a romance novel, you know? Like, yeah, they meet really fast. They fall in love really fast. They might not admit that it's love really fast, though. There might be some other extenuating circumstances, like, say, a money-obsessed manager or a stalker who loves a particular, like, famous foreign artist. I don't know. I told you it was a soap opera. (laughs) (laughs) You've mentioned a couple times how your style and things have really changed since Cut Mm. the Feeling into... They have catch me if I fall, how would you categorize what that change has been? I think it's, it's honestly more than anything else. And I I don't know, I don't love to get like super deep into businessy, like authory kind of talk sometimes, but I think more than anything else, it's just a clearer idea of who I am writing as Noah Steele, right? Like it's obviously it's a pen name. If my real name was Noah Steele, are you kidding me? That would have been gold. (laughs) It is a great name. (laughs) But it's, yeah, it's totally just a refinement of like what I'm doing with Noah Steele as a low-angst gay romance writer. I think that Catch Me If I Fall really helped me nail down the essence of what I want to do is smutty indie movies perfect for the CW network, but as books. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it's, it's low angst, it's high emotion, it's slice of life melodrama and Cut to the Feeling was a little bit of that. And I think that those were the parts that people really responded to. Like, I've been really lucky in meeting a lot of readers who resonated really strongly with those books. And I'm always going to be super thankful for that. And I think that it's those people who are going to go from Catch of the Feeling to Catch Me If I Fall and like really feel that dial turned up to like a 15 out of 10. So this interview is going on on Valentine's Day. I asked you if you would think about your characters and decide to maybe send one of them on a date. Tell us about what their Valentine's date just might be. I had to go with Mark and Connor because Mark is, once again, he's my my original sad boy template. And he, I think, does not get his due because his book comes so late in the series. And I just, I want more people to pick up Mark and Connor's book. I really genuinely do because they were such a, a cathartic thing to write in a way that I don't think I'm ever going to be able to explain except for non-verbally with sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that for where they're at now, like post Visions of Love, post that series wrapping in their lives, Mark is still learning not to let work consume him a little bit. That was a big deal for him. I like to think that by the end of Cut to the Feeling, he's taken on a lot more at the coffee shop. And then Connor just kind of surprises him with a trip to Sugar Hills, Ontario. Because if the series aren't going to be related for real, I might as well just have fun, right? Absolutely. So they're just going to go to Sugar Hills, Ontario, where they rent a cozy rustic cabin for a weekend. I think Connor spends the first night making animal sounds while Mark cooks and quietly agonizes over the best time to propose. Of course, he has no idea Connor's thinking the same thing. I think they drive into town. Maybe they laugh across the table from each other while they're carving into stacks of pancakes for breakfast the next morning. I think packets of syrup absolutely find their way into Connor's pockets and then into some other less appropriate outdoor activities in the forest. And then I think that in the heat of that moment, Connor blurts out his proposal before Mark even has the chance to like get on one knee and pull out a ring. 
And then they tumble back to town together. They're smiling nonstop. I think in all his Scottish glory, Connor just gets very loud and very proud about something so exciting as like a new chapter for him. And they just take a beat and sort of as that day goes on, they let the streetlights come to life around them in the town square because I will give this gazebo its moment. (laughs) And who knows, maybe Jasper and Cole are closing up the gallery that night and cheering because they can hear Connor cheering from the gazebo about, you know, about to be married. And then he obviously, like at some point in that trip before they go home, goes to buy more syrup. (laughs) And they live happily ever after. (laughs) I get syrup, especially after how it plays into the potential of the... uh proposal itself i love that you did a proposal for them of all of the couples that i've written some of them are just straight up too young for it to make sense for me because i've done cut to the feeling was a a bit of a mix of like contemporary guys in their like mid to late 20s and also new adult which in hindsight maybe not the greatest choice i don't care it was fun but if anyone was going to get married it was going to be jasper and cole mark and connor and aiden and Derek. You, you get to see a little bit of it too in Sounds Like Love. It's the novella that I have in that that huge, like your book, Boyfriend's Boyfriend, Prolific Works, MM giveaway thing going on for the duration of 2022. If you haven't picked up reads from it already, please feel free. Like they are all so fantastic. I've had the best time just grinning ear to ear reading through so many of them. You get to see a little bit of post-proposal Aiden and Derek making a little bit of a cameo in Theo's story. And it just made sense that Mark and Connor would be in a very similar place, I think. Who knows? Maybe I'll revisit some of these things in bonuses. I can never say for sure. I'm very flighty. <laughs> yeah, they've got the seeds of it right here. Just, you know, paint it the rest of it. It's true. Maybe of this is how you visit Sugar Hills. You know, if you write it, then it really <laughs> becomes canon and you join these places together. So be careful when uh, you do that. <laughs> well, what if listeners tell me if they want me to do that what if we put it in their hands so that it doesn't have to be in my <laughs> there you go listeners drop Noah a line leave us a comment somewhere on social or on the show notes wherever you want to do it yeah i love and not having to make decisions you, for me you realize now that, you know i'm gonna have to come in when this drops and tell everybody in your group go listen to this hear what he says and then come harass him right here <laughs> well it doesn't sound like a bad thing not a bad thing. I love my Facebook group. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got one of the best places to hang out in Facebook, you know. Oh my God, thank you. It's always happy. I like the whole honeybees thing that you've set up. It's just really oh. lovely. That See, that's another video game throwback for me. That's Final Fantasy VII's Honeybee Inn, which absolutely was gay rights. Oh, did not know that. I was going to ask you the origin of the honeybees, just because I was yeah. curious. Well, I also just really like bees. <laughs> that works yeah. too. <laughs> So continuing our nostalgia tour, let's go even further back. What got you started writing? Oh God. I, is it cliche to just say that I like always kind of been a storyteller? Even as early as like nine or 10 years old, like writing goofy short stories for class projects in elementary school was always just a lot of fun for me. It was really, really fulfilling. And that sort of just got stronger and stronger the deeper I got into like my whole media world just being powerfully obsessed with like 90s early 2000s shoujo anime and manga like i i will go to bat for sailor moon and magic knight rares and like hardcaptor sakura and utena every day like every day they are like fundamental for exactly who i am as a person <laughs> and that obviously spiraled into writing a lot of intense fan fiction <laughs> yeah because sailor moon wasn't brave enough to give me tuxedo mask actually falling in love with his best friend who ran the arcade so i gave it to myself <laughs> Hey, there you go. It's the best of fanfic when you just take with two characters and boom, now you're together. Yeah. It, it's just only in my head. Works for me. Probably works for a lot of people on the internet too. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely does. And people, of course, who write in our very genre. So many yeah. started in that fanfic I think space. It's gorgeous that so much of MM started in a, in a space that feels like so open and free and just like lush with material. Right? Like it's such a natural evolution to go from like creating things like that to creating original content that is just so from the go explicitly queer mm-hmm. and just vibrant and full of so many different kinds of like representations of queerness. It's so nice to just be immersed in all of that. I mean, I love what you've got in your bio that says you believe that queerness is strength Mm -hmm. and the men at the heart of your books embody that strength without experiencing queerness as a roadblock to happiness. I mean, 
that's exactly what I want to find in a romance. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like to think that that's exactly what I'm giving. Even when I like dabble in the discovering sexuality trope, I absolutely will refuse to engage with that trope if it's presented to me as someone who is just at the gate thinking they can't be happy because they're discovering a queer part of themselves. You know, like I, I lived that. I don't need that anymore. Like I'm, I'm post that personally, but I like, I obviously understand the value of that for someone who might be experiencing that needs to like, just connect with a character who's going through the same, like there's always going to be a place for stuff like that in fiction, right? Like so many of us probably had a character like that when we were younger or older, like whenever it was that we were sort of first toying with the idea of coming out in life. But I don't think that it's a thing that I want to engage in, in my own writing a ton. So I always try to do it as like a very excited, like, oh, maybe I do want to do things with Matt. Mm -hmm. Let's let's go on a little journey and find out. (laughs) I just don't love heavy angst surrounding that. It's just too, it's too real lifey for me. And I, I like part of why I do like romance specifically and why I gravitated to romance specifically is because it's such stunning escapist fiction. You can and should probably see like some bits of realism into it because stuff still has to make sense. But I don't think that hyperfixating is the way. I want to be immersed in a romance that looks kind of like my world, but probably doesn't operate totally the same way, even when it's contemporary. I think what really drew me into writing romance specifically is it's more a combination of things. It's a little bit of like the part of my life before I met my current boyfriend of like 11 or 12 years now where I had that like messy period of being a newly out queer kid away from home for the first time. And yikes, like that was a rough two or three years. And there were a lot of times where I really, really felt like something stable and happy was just not on the cards for me. And, you know, pair that with being a a kind of depressive, hopeless romantic, it was not a healthy mix. And I didn't really love that whenever I tried to turn to the media that wasn't like, it basically it had to be fanfic for it to be a happy ending for someone queer. At the time that I was really heavily engaging with more queer media at like in, in my like earlier years, because stuff that was in existing media, like on TV and in, even in like movies and, and music to an extent, it felt like queer men kind of just existed for years to be like PSAs, self-hating pools of angst or dead. I don't want that. I would very much like to believe that there's so much more out there for us than that. And a big part of that is being able to fall in love and do everything we want to do. And I think that we've definitely reached a place now where like that it's totally, it's a totally different landscape. You know what I mean? And, and like, I don't think that I need to like break myself to try to reinvent a wheel because there's so many of us doing that work and putting that into motion to like make the current landscape of queer friendly media and like queer centric media, exactly what it is. Like we know what we want out of it because we already had so many of those experiences, not getting what we wanted out of, other media (laughs) like i'm out here doing romance because i am like truly in my heart i'm just like a rabid sewer gremlin who wants to be fed smutty queer happy things after midnight all the time and i figure if like i'm not going to get that from like basically everywhere i'm going to do a lot of work to just put that on my own plate (laughs) that might be the perfect like little pull quote moment from this Yeah, well, if anyone's going to associate me with anything, it might as well be a smut gremlin. Why not? Is there some other subgenre or even a genre outside of romance that you kind of want to play in that you haven't quite taken the leap on yet? Yeah. So I grew up on like a very healthy dose of lots of like urban fantasy, supernatural themed stuff. And whether it's an urban fantasy with queer characters that isn't necessarily a romance, but has a romantic plot, or it is very explicitly a paranormal romance, I would really love to do something paranormal someday. And like, it's it's on the plate. There's a teeny tiny short in my Facebook group that readers got to read about a pair of guys named Rex and Frey, who are respectively a werewolf and a witch. And that was just like a fun little throwaway, I think, fall-themed thing that I did that is very rapidly becoming a thing that is demanding more of my attention. (laughs) I don't know that I'm there for it yet. I think that there's a lot of stuff that has to work itself out in my head surrounding those two before I finally sit down and say, it's going to be a paranormal book next time. But who knows if I'll even do it under the name Noah Steele. I don't know. I can't say. Probably not. Hopefully you'll at least share what that other pin name is and it won't be just some secrety thing that goes on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and like, I'm not trying to be cheesy, I promise. Like this other sure. feeling does not exist right now. It really does not. <laughs> like if I ever decided to do paranormal, why not? It's something that I'm super like intimately familiar with. And it's something that I love to read constantly. I think almost every one of my major inspirations has some sort of either supernatural or like magical realism bent to it. So it's kind of a marvel that I've put myself so firmly in this realm of like contemporary new adult slice of lifey stuff rather than the rest. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, paranormal from Noah Steele or Noah Steele writing as dot, dot, dot. Uh, I would love to be the and on something. Like, do you remember like the title cards on like Charm? It would always be like Holly Marie Combs as Piper Hallowell. I want to be the and as. Yeah. There's always those couple of people who are extra special and as. Yes. Yeah. Or, you know, even how some people are always like special guest star, even though they're on every single episode of something, that extra yeah. special something. Yeah. Our little pop culture side conversation there. <laughs> well, if we're talking about Catch Me If I Fall, we can't not talk about pop culture, right? Like there was so much stuff that I just threw into a hat and was like, this one's going in, this one's going in, this one's going in. My editor will just take things out if I'm not allowed to go crazy. You mentioned characters are kind of where you start, but as you mm -hmm. plot, are you just sitting down to write so it's all seated your pants or do you have sketched out what you want the plot to be and then you're going to drive towards that direction in the earliest baby days of noah Steele existing as a person on the internet i was a an absolute pure pantser flying wherever the wind was going to take me that day we'll see what happens with this next chapter i will learn about the characters on the go and i just can't write like that anymore i think that when i had that big sort of quagmire that I got bogged down in with cut to the feeling being so stuck. This is the thing that I talk about with readers in my newsletter all the time is, is part of like, like the, the process that I go through when I'm stuck with a book that had to like shelve things. But Mark's book, Visions of Love, I halted at chapter five of that book for almost a year. It was the first time I really sat down to consciously write myself like a proper outline for the remainder of that story. And it made maybe the single biggest difference of my career at the time. The rest of that book came so easily and so naturally with just a few notes left here and there for where to take them. And so everything after that, like with the Whispers of Love, Cut of the Feeling prequel novella, Sounds Like Love and Catch Me If I Fall, we're all done with full outlines. Like not super detailed outlines because I, I can't take the fun out of writing for myself like that, but enough that like I could really get going. And like, I'm always going to have that one chapter in there that is like chapter seven, boning, emotions. <laughs> And not every chapter has to be super detailed, and that's fine. <laughs> right. Leave yourself, like you said, room to have fun and discover other yeah. things as yeah. you know, the characters speak up. What's something you've read recently that you think our listeners should pick up? I, I, I got to read this one early, and I was really sad that I did. A.J. Truman just released the first book in a new single dad series called The Falcon and the Foe. It's hilarious. Like, this book is so funny and so driven with personality that... I like immediately will snatch it up three more times if anyone asks me to. Like, it's so, it's so great. It's a fantastic enemies to lovers starring single dads. Like he wrote it so well that I cared about the children. And like, normally I don't gravitate toward child characters because children are so often written in a way that I just do not connect with. But th these kids added so much personality to the story and so much depth to their parents and so much weight to like everything that was going on between them emotionally or otherwise that the falcon and the foe i think is like such a, a really cute blend of levity with seriousness in a way that made me root for these like older guys finding love with each other and i also just i kind of love that it was such a departure from like the the very firm like new adult to like maximum like 32 age range that i tend to find myself reading in what a breath of fresh air to just break out of that aj like really really delivered with this book that's awesome. I love AJ's other series. I've been looking at this book like, I kind of need to maybe pick that up. And so now you've completely sold me off. You absolutely <laughs> should. Like, I really cannot wait for book two. I haven't read the prequel and I need to read the prequel. Um, but I'm doing this thing for 2022 where I've become kind of a slow reader because it's hard for me to read and write at the same time because then I will confuse myself because mm -hmm. this has been a very challenging three years. <laughs> so I'm trying to read at least a book a month. And I'm, I'm reading a, a bit of M.M. Romance and a bit of 
stuff outside the genre because I like to diversify. I think it's important to do that, whether it's like to feed my own creative fire or just because it's something that I've been meaning to read for a while and I haven't yet. And so one of those books was Marie Brennan writing, I think it was called The Night Parade of 100 Demons. It's a a Legend of the Five Rings novel, Trad Pub. And it's not, I don't think that I would call it a romance because I don't know that I would have called that ending quite happy, but it's got queer leads. It's got magic. It's got demons. It's got a whole supernatural mystery. And I had a lot of fun with that one. It was a bit of a slow start for me. And then I found myself crying on my couch at three o'clock in the morning, finishing the book like last week. And I was like, well, I guess I really liked it. That. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty good sign. If you stayed up late and you cried. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I cried everything. So that's not really a surprise, but <laughs> it was nice to be able to do that for a book. <laughs> What can you share about your 2022 plans? Ooh, okay. So I know I've like teased a little bit about this little small town world, but genuinely, like if I was going to give you four words to discuss 2022, it's going to be so many small towns. (laughs) Like that's, that's what I'm excited about right now. I don't know what it was about writing Catch Me If I Fall that really like cemented this idea in my head, but the uh, series that I'm working on now, I think that as of this is Valentine's Day, everyone is hearing this. So two weeks before you're all hearing this, I finished the outline for a a brand new series starter book one in a a small college town series set on the other side of Canada. It's a a little college town nestled among the pine trees in British Columbia. It's going to be a new adult series that I'm hoping to get at least the first two books out over the course of this year. I struggle with release dates because depression is hard. But it's, it's exciting for me to like think about the fact that I'm going to be taking you all to like a, a little old estate turned college campus where photography major Clark and poet Leo are going to realize exactly what they mean to each other in that spring semester. Aww. The series does not have a name. The book might have a name that I'm workshopping. The characters have names because I already scrapped 11,000 words of them to start over. <laughs> wow, that's hurtful, but... It, it has to know, happen sometimes. It has to happen, and the words are never gone. I think every author I know has like a little document graveyard where we just ruthlessly cannibalize things that will work for other projects. And like, that's fine. You can't spell necromancy without romance, you know? <laughs> We've all got little things in our little document graveyards that are just going to rise from the dead and make perfect sense for other projects. And we'll know what they were originally intended for. And maybe we'll share with you too. I don't know. But I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this whole expanded Noah Steel cinematic universe of small towns. We might be doing a little bit of series hopping for the first time. I don't know if it's going to be one continuous series or if I'm going to want to jump from town to town just to keep things fresh for myself. But I can tell you that I have not a world map, but like there are four towns pretty solid in my mind. The, this one that I'm working on now, the, the British Columbia College Town one, is going to be, the, I think, the only new adult series of the bunch. Um, and I'm just really excited to play with a bunch of different tropes that I either haven't like done much with before. I only really know that I'm like having written a soap opera-esque insta-love series. Insta-love is like taking a big backseat. Like we're, we're putting her on the shelf. She's like a porcelain doll who might be a little haunted. We're just going to leave her there. I <laughs> <laughs> need other tropes to play with. So many. Like I'm a, a big fan of friends to lovers right now. So I think that we'll probably be seeing a lot of that from me. There's just something really special about a connection that already exists that, that isn't romantic until, oops, it is. <laughs> I yeah. really want to do more. Friends to lovers, second chance romance for the same reason. It's like so much backstory. There's some reason, large or small, that couldn't click before. Let's see what happens now. Yeah. I could read Friends to Lovers and Second Chance all day, all day long. All day, every day. I don't know if I'm there with you on Second Chance. I had a lot of fun writing it. But I also think that it was maybe like the most challenging trope that I've written because I really needed them to deserve that second chance. And it is scary to be sitting there writing it with that little voice in the back of your mind constantly just saying, ooh, what if it's not heavy enough? How do you do second chance but keep it low angst and melodramatic? And I don't know, but I think that I did it. So I'm going to call Somehow it. Somehow <laughs> you did it. Because usually there can be, as you noted, the angst. And they had you know, without giving too much away, their break in the past is not insignificant. That's not a minor thing that goes on there. The cause for it was heavy and the time that they spent apart was heavy. I just, I, I couldn't bring the entire weight of that heaviness onto the page in the present. And I, 
I really wanted this book to be about them in the present. Yeah. And that's why for me, the perfect second chance, because I like second chance, but especially the headspace I'm in right now, I don't need the angst that sometimes go with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like I'm also a big mood reader, right? So like there's, there's definitely a time and a place for an angsty book where I just want to sit down and like give myself the several hours to ugly cry and just yeah. let it happen. And it's fine. And I love that because it's, it's such a good release. Just keep building small towns and just keep putting gazebos in all of them. I have no idea how long this idea will consume me for. And I have no idea if one of these towns will be hiding a supernatural secret sometime to just segue myself into new things that I can play around with. I only know that I'm really having fun with it right now. And if I'm having fun, I think you're all going to have fun. Perfect. How can people keep up with you online to know when all this stuff finally comes out? Oh my gosh. I live on the internet, so it's probably not going to be that hard. <laughs> um, I think honestly, the easiest thing to do that is also going to sound like an absolute plug is to just subscribe to my newsletter <laughs> because I'm chatty. I'm a very transparent, chatty person. I just like to talk about things. So if you hop on over to neweststeel.com, like you can go ahead and subscribe to my newsletter. I send like once a month, you'll get Whispers of Love, the Cut to the Feeling prequel as soon as you sign up. If you didn't pick it up during the Winter Wonderland giveaway in 2021, and if you're not a newsletter person, join my Facebook group. We are Noah's Dream Hive on Facebook. Me and my honeybees like to hang out and talk about books and men and sometimes inappropriate things. And then just a lot of stuff that we really love to read in romance. I do exist on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Books by Noah, but I do a lot of book talk there. It's really just like, if you want to see pictures of my face and like watch me tweet about smutty art and video games, like we can hang out. Fine. <laughs> we will link to all of those places, plus all the books that we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Oh, no, I'm so glad you came on and talked to us about this just amazing catch me up. I fall and I can't wait to read your other small towns too. I am honestly, I'm still so thrilled that you are so thrilled about Jasper and Cole's relationship. And I will never be able to thank you enough for all of like the outpouring of love and support you've given those two. And I'm excited that you're excited for more because that's all I ever really want is for people to be excited for more. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. Don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. And thanks again to Noah for hanging out with me and telling us about Catch Me If I Fall, as well as what he's working on next. I really cannot wait for the small town romances that he's working on. Just like Second Chances, I am down with reading about queer friendly small towns anytime you want to give it to me. All right, I think that'll do it for now. Coming up in episode 363, it's time for this month's Dante's Cove recap as we focus on the second dramatic episode of season one. And believe it or not, season one only consisted of two 90-minute episodes, so we're already at the end of that super sexy first season. Don't miss our recap next week. On behalf of Jeff and myself, we want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kind of stories that we all love, the big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Production assistance by Tyson Greenan. Original theme music by Daryl Banner. 